Welcome to the Rural Pastor Podcast with your host, Andy Addis, and special guest, Mark Clifton. We plant the seeds in the ground, though the fields have long been brown. Lord, when will your harvest come in? I'm giving all I've got to give in the place where I've been sent. But will my labor make much difference in the end? Will no one ever know? Sometimes I feel so all alone. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope to that church on the corner of that forgotten little town to a room of empty peers where his love can still be found. You may never know of all the seeds you sow. But it just takes one willing soul to make him know. Welcome back to the Rural Pastor Podcast. I am so thankful that you are joining us. My name is Andy Addis, and I have the the privilege of being the volunteer rural strategist for the North American Mission Board Replant Team. And with me today on this podcast is... Hey, it's Mark Clifton, man. I'm glad to be with you on this beautiful day here in... Uh, wonderful state of Kansas, right in the middle of the country. Right? That's that's right. And let's let's be honest. Last time you heard us on the first edition, uh, we were together out of town doing a live uh, podcast. Today, we are not together in, in our homes. <laughs> I'm in Hutch, and where are you? I'm in Baser, Kansas. Baser, Kansas. Yeah, we are, we are in yeah. the heartland of the land of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And and I know we can't do this every week, Mark, but that intro song, oh my goodness. Uh, we're going to we're, we're have to take one episode and just in the middle of it, maybe we can get Chosen Road to to come and, uh, and sit in with us, and then we can just play that whole thing instead of just pointing people to it. But how, first of all, uh, how, how did you connect with those guys? Man, I, I love bluegrass music, right? So every year, my wife and I go to the International Bluegrass Music Association National Convention in Raleigh, North Carolina. Jill and I are members of the IBMA, which means we get to vote on the song of the year oh and goodness. the writer of the year. It's, it's like it's like it's like the Emmys for bluegrass freaks, okay? <laughs> so, and 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 at night in the hotels, they have these uh, just the bands just playing in different rooms, right? So I'm just walking up and down the hallway, listening to bands play, and I hear this band playing an old imperials and russell tap song water grave mm. they're playing it they're playing it like bluegrass so i go who in the world plays an old russell tap song water grave like bluegrass so i stuck my head in there and it was chosen road and so we began a long years number now i guess of, uh, of a great friendship and uh, they're great christian guys they love jesus they love bluegrass music they're really some of the best musicians in north america and uh, they're full time. They uh, they've had several songs that have charted the tops of the bluegrass charts in mm. Billboard magazine, and uh, they just love Jesus and they love what we do. And so, uh, in terms of helping dying and declining churches and helping rural churches, and so they're my best friends. And uh, they travel with me sometimes when I speak and they sing. So you know, we're we just like man, we need a song just for guys serving in rural That's places. Right. That's right. 
So we sat down with them and kind of came up with some ideas. And that song is just for you guys. I mean, they wrote it just for you guys who are serving in rural places. So it's your song. It's absolutely amazing. We, we wanted just some theme intro music. And I was thinking about some canned jingles from some loop on a an Apple computer somewhere. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and we ended up getting that. It's a masterpiece. Well, speaking of which, what is this thing that we're a part of? If you happen to miss the first episode, this Rural Pastor podcast wants to pour into part partner with and pat on the back the rural pastor because what you're doing is important. And if you uh, remember last time we kind of set out the the big 3 for the the big three needs for rural pastors. It's vocational identity, it's issues of isolation, and it's lower access to resources. So we're going to take the first three episodes here after our introduction. We're going to tackle those one by one. And today we want to talk about what we call vocational identity for the, the rural pastor. But to lead into that, let me ask you a question, Mark. What was the hardest job you ever had while pastoring? I mean, you and I haven't been full-time guys all the time. We've we've had to uh, we've had to support our families and do do other things what's been that other job that's been the hardest for you selling kirby vacuum cleaners door to door so that was my first my first bivocational job was selling kirby vacuum cleaners so you knocked on the doors knocked on doors during the day and then you knocked on doors at night that's right or sometimes if we were really lucky uh, we would get leads and these were leads where people said if we would uh, shampoo a room of their carpet they would listen to us talk about a kirby so first you got to shampoo their carpets <laughs> and, then, and then you and then you had to tell them about kirby vacuum cleaners uh oh, i goodness. did that yeah and you know i i made some money out. yeah how'd you do that's what i want to know how'd you do i did i i did okay you want one month i want a blender i I was the <laughs> highest salesperson there and i had a i got a blender i'm not sure what i you know i didn't really need it but i, I got one man so, if it happened in the right uh, month and you brought enough kids to vbs you could have got a bike and a blender in the same month that would have been great <laughs> So yeah, I, I did that. I, I sold work. I, I needed money and I, I couldn't it really. And I, and then back then minimum wage was, was really nothing and that wasn't going to work. And so I had a friend of mine who had sold some Kirby vacuum cleaners. And so, man, I did it, but I will tell you this, Andy, uh-huh. I learned an awful lot about how to talk to people an awful lot about how to talk to them in their home, about how to connect to them. I look back at those, those months, years serving and uh, selling Kirby vacuum cleaners out there as some of the best training I've ever had in terms of just dealing with people. Yeah. God and, never uh, wastes those moments. Does he? I mean, there's no. always something to be learned. Yeah, that's right. There always is. And, okay. Uh, yeah. But anyway, let, let yep, me tell you about one. About you. Let, let me okay. tell you about one that, uh, that I cannot find a redeeming quality in. <laughs> Okay, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, I went through a, fer- a period of time where I was working two, three, sometimes four jobs just because I wasn't worthy of getting even a bivocational job that was uh, able to support the family. But at one point, uh, I was going to seminary. I was working for a church in Fort Worth, and I was working at Walmart. And Walmart, you know, it doesn't seem like that hard of a job. But the reason it was difficult for me is they stuck me in hardware to mix paint. And I'm as colorblind <laughs> as anybody on the planet. Yeah, I'm I a- know. <laughs> So they would say, so what you do is you dab it on the top, you dry it with an air dryer and you compare it. I'm like, I'm comparing nothing. I've, I've got zero skills in this. It was, it was a miserable job and nobody was ever happy with anything that I did. And I tried to explain to them that this is not, not a good assignment for me, but it never worked, never worked. 
Anyway, yeah, I look back. Maybe maybe what I was supposed to learn there was humility because I learned a, a boatload of that. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, you know, that I do, let me just say though that was early in my ministry, right? I mean, I was just I was really young when I did the Kirby thing. Mm. But at age I don't know forty eight something like that, when I went to Warno Road Baptist Church to to replant that church, I had to become bivocational. And there I've got kids in college, and I, I you know what am I going to do? And uh, so I I. Uh, I became the executive director of a maternity home, mm. which I had no experience at whatsoever. Um, but God gave me that job, but that was a really tough job. We had, uh, had, uh, 20 employees and we were a state licensed adoption agency. And on paper, it looked like a really exciting job and it was a very meaningful job. I mean, that, that group did a lot of great work, but you know, what they didn't really tell me was as executive director, all I really was supposed to do was make sure we made payroll every month. And so I had to go out every month, literally, and raise money, oh churches, and organizations. And so, yeah, it was, it was a couple of years of just really trying to, to, to raise money while I'm trying to pastor a church. And uh, that, that was a really, it was a difficult because both of those were very time consuming and, and very mm. draining yeah. emotionally. Um, so th- those, that was a really challenging period of my life being bivocational it was a little different than selling Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. So well, yeah, I, but I know sometimes I'm guys, sorry. Excuse me, sometimes guys, yeah. Sometimes guys listening to us have, have a job where they can, they can kind of just veg out in the job, you know, and, right. and think about the church while they're doing it or they can, but, but others guys have jobs, you know, like a hospital chaplain or you know, other things like that, where it, it takes a lot of their emotions as well. So even, even, even if it does school. dovetail a little, right. Uh, a job exactly. Like yeah. Well, and, and that's the issue. You know, a lot of the guys that are listening to us right now are, are experienced. Some of them are Kirby salesmen. <laughs> Some of them are, <laughs> are working for Walmart, but they're guys digging ditches. There's guys in uh, construction. There are guys all over the map. Let's talk about this. When we come to vocational identity, what we're talking about is the, the way that we understand what it means to be vocational clergy. And there's kind of a continuum. And and help me fill in the blanks here as we do this. But if you just imagine on one end, you have full-time ministry, somebody who's being paid full-time benefits, that's what they do. That's that's their identity. On the other end, you have volunteers who are just stepping up to get something done. In between, you have bivocational and co-vocational. And, uh, and there's probably more, but those are the kind of the four big categories that we put things in. And can you help us define, uh, we know what a full-time pastor is we know what a volunteer is what's the difference right. between bivo and covo in the in today's lingo well, it's kind of a new lingo isn't it uh yeah. covo is an individual who has a career and they feel like the calling is their career as well in other words they might be a physician they might be a school teacher they might be a mechanic i don't know what it is mm. but but they feel like god has put that call on their life and they want to do that and they want to be a pastor in other words they're they're not having the second income the second job in order to fund the pastorate it's just who they are. And mm-hmm. so they're co-vocational. I, you know, I'm, I'm a school teacher and I'm a pastor and I love both. And I'm called by God to do both of these things. And, and they're not trying to climb a ladder to become full-time because they exactly. actually feel this is where they're supposed to be. Right. And by being co-vocational, they have a lot of opportunities for pastoral ministry because mm-hmm. there are a lot of churches that need pastors who have other vocations. And so more and more, we're seeing guys choose to be co-vocational and they will tell you that in their particular calling, it gives them great opportunity to connect to people outside of the church that they normally wouldn't because right. they're out in the culture every single day. Bivocational is kind of what I was doing. You know, I really felt called to be the vocational pastor, but I had to raise, I had to support my family. 
And so yes. I had to go find extra, had to make tents for a while, as they say, be a tent maker for a while so that I could, I could support my family. One's not better than the other. They're just two different kinds of callings. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, there, there's mix and matches on these. You know, I, I'm the lead pastor of a rural multi-site community, uh, and we got 14 locations. And I've got a guy who is a volunteer kind of covo. Uh, he's volunteer because he won't let us pay him because he believes that his actual calling is working in the school district, but he pastors right. for us. And he says, if the church ever gets too big, uh, I can't do that. He goes, let me know. I'll train somebody up. And, and that's that yep. heart of saying, I, I know where I'm called. So we have full time, which is often thought of as the big show, but it's really not. It just means there's actually more privilege and responsibility on your part uh, if that's what you do full time. And you made a statement. Uh, I don't know if you made it to me privately or if it was on a previous recording, but you said bivocational, or, and in this case as well, co-vocational, that's not a part-time pastor. It's just part-time pay. Right, exactly. You're never a part-time pastor at all. You know, um, I, I, I live kind of on the urban fringe out here, right? So we've got some guys. One of my elders at the church where I, I pastor has 40 head of cattle, mm. but he's not really full-time. He, he's, he's retired. He does other stuff. He's an engineer. He does other stuff. So you, you could say, well, he's, he's a hobby farmer. Yeah, but he's never not thinking about the farm. He's never right. not thinking about the cattle. You know, if the cattle get sick, if something happens, if the weather turns bad, he's got to be there. It's not It's not the same thing. In, in many ways, that's what you are as a bivocational pastor. You're paid a certain amount. They ask you to a certain amount of hours to work, but your mind is always with it. Your heart is always with it. And if mm. something happens, you have to be there. So there's no real such thing as a part-time pastor in any way at all. Well, and, and that brings us to the issue of this vocational identity. People often see the full-time guy as the legit guy and the bivo as the wanting to be legit guy. And we want to blow that out of the water because the, a bivo and a covo, the, the truth is that it's it's probably um, it's probably a, a more New Testament calling to be that tent maker. That's what we saw uh, in, in the New Testament. It's okay to be full-time, but it is a privilege, and there's some responsibility that comes with it. But the bivo-covo guy who so many in the rural pastor community are represented by is not only a form, it is a legitimate form. It is the form. It is the same as because pastoring is pastoring no matter what level you're supposedly doing it at. Right. And what I would like to see more of would be rather than having one church that can barely pay a full-time pastor, just barely enough to live on mm. for that church to have three or four bivocational pastors in sort of a, a team that pastored in, in, in a group of pastors and staff and all that. So they're all, and I'm, I know some churches that are doing that right now. And so in some ways, if you can have three or four guys that are, are co-vocational or bivocational, you, you can really accomplish a great deal. And in some ways you can accomplish more. I want to be right. careful how I say this than the guy who is doing trying to, because if you're the only paid person and the church is taking all of their income just to pay you, they really expect you to do everything, mm, right? That's right. And you simply, you simply can't. Plus, if you've got four guys, five guys, you know, I was in Canada for a number of years planting churches, and there was a church that got started down in, uh, in the capital in Ottawa, and they started like this. And it had four or five guys on their team, and they, were all, they all had full-time jobs, not part-time jobs, full-time jobs. But they were going to plant a church, and all five of them were working together. And the cool thing was all five of them worked in different places in Ottawa, so all five of them had different connections with different people. And as the church began to grow, they had just had more more opportunities to reach people because these guys were working every day mm. in different parts of Ottawa in different organizations, different companies, and they had lots of connections. Whereas if you just have one guy who just works at one church, 
sometimes the number of unchurched people you connect to in a day is pretty limited. And yeah. so I really want to affirm rule yeah. and or even urban pastors who are bivocational because you're able to be out there and mix it up with people that normally would never be in your church. One of our location pastors early on when he was bivocational before it grew large enough for him to be full-time, which was his desire, uh, is he took a job running the cash register at the local Gambino's Pizza, which is kind of a small-town pizza place. Well, in this community... <laughs> Everybody in town Everybody. came to game, and he put himself in that place strategically so that he could smile at everybody. And w- what is the happiest point of most people's days when you get handed a pizza? Uh, that's right. That's right. Or I had a, I had a kid in, in the town, one of the towns I served in, who was the night manager of the Pizza Hut, the only that's Pizza it. Hut town. And he knew where everybody lived because of deliveries, right? Ah, <laughs> that's so correct. Not, so not only do you know them, and they know you. You come to their door, man. Hey, he's my pizza guy. <laughs> There's so much to be said for that. I okay. just think we really need to affirm that more than we do. That's right. Pastoring is pastoring. If you're a full-time Bivo Covo volunteer, if you're in that role, we are just thankful that you're there. So I have a few statements I just want to respond to here uh, about what, what it means to be a pastor, the effectiveness of a pastor, because I think we see it on a sliding scale, but we measure it incorrectly sometimes. So here's the first one. The effectiveness of a pastor is not the product of their busyness. In essence, I wrote the wrote and then uh, printed and uh, handed out and, uh, and and took care of the bulletins and then cleaned them up, the ones who got left behind. Uh, we, we often we often think about as long as we're busy and we can say, man, I work so hard and I, I never drop the ball, that, uh, that that is the sign of being a, a good pastor. But that's really not. What we do is we set up impossible standards, kind of modeling a work ethic of Luther, a spiritual vitality and prayer life of Tozer, and Ward Cleaver dad status. Um, but you just can't do that. We, we can't have the Instagram, Facebook kind of pastor. It's like when you buy a used car, I love to haggle, right? And you go and you say, right. well, I need more for my trade. Well, here's how they're going to do that. They'll give you more for your trade, but they're going to charge you more over here. It, it, it's a balloon that gets squeezed, and, and you may you may squeeze it in this place, but it's just going to balloon up somewhere else. And, and a man's life, you can't get more than 24 hours a day. You don't have any more energy and, uh, and drive than God has given you. So the effectiveness of a pastor, you can't rate based on busyness. That can't be the standard. Would you agree with that, Mark? I would agree, and I would also say this, and let's, let's be, this is a word of caution from an old guy. You can stay very busy as a pastor, very busy as a rural pastor, because I am a rural pastor, very busy as a bivocational pastor, because I'm a rural bivocational pastor. I have another job, mm. North American Mission Board, and never really deal with people. You, you can spend all your time being busy dealing with things of the church, things that need to be done, like you say, the bulletin and everything, anything else, and not deal with people. And you can say, man, I'm just all, but at the end of the day, you say, how many people did I talk to? How many people did I pray with? Mm. How much time did I spend with my Lord? Am I growing closer to him? Those are the things that matter. And the adversary will get us to fill up our time with busy little things that make us feel like we're doing really good work in the church. But we got to stop and say, how, how is all this stuff I'm doing today? How is it making disciples? How is it making Jesus known? And how is it making more like me more like Jesus? Mm. And I've got to put my priorities on those things. And if the other things don't get done, they don't get done. Plus, Andy, the other things are things that other people can do. And you've got to find some way to help other people do these things that, that they can do so you can focus 
really on those things that a pastor is called to do. When I was a Bivo and seminary student and we had young kiddos, my wife taught me this lesson. Uh, I came home one day and I was a little, uh, you get frustrated sometimes, right? I was a little frustrated because church had been tough and it was towards the end of finals. And I came home and uh, and, and the, the home environment was not what I wished it would be, right? Now I got to be careful because I don't want to okay. put myself in a box, but the home environment okay. was not what I wished it would be. <laughs> and my wife and I had this conversation and she looked at me and she goes, I made a decision. I could have a clean house or I could have time with my boys. There you go. And I'm like, you chose wisely. You, cho- you, you chose go. wisely. And that's, that's that game. It's not about being busy. It's about what you're being busy at, which yep. I know you shouldn't that's, end with a preposition, but that's it. No, I know. But, but that is absolutely true. Couldn't, right. couldn't agree more. Here's and this. I hear guys all the way. I, 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 sure, I hear sure. guys all the time. I'm just so busy. I'm so busy. It's like, okay, what? Tell me what you're doing there today. And they tell me all these things and they're busy, but you're right. They're not really dealing with people and they're not really growing closer to Jesus. And those are the things they need to be busy with because those are the things that have really eternal significance. That's right. And, and so we want to validate busyness if that busyness is in the right direction, but not validate busyness just for that Protestant work ethic sake. That's not, that's not what we're looking for. That's not, that's not right. what is needed for you to feel validated in your role. Here's the second one. The effectiveness of a pastor is not rated by the title that they hold. And this goes back to are you full-time? Are you bivo? Are you covo? And I would say this, I think actually bivocational pastors are easier to follow. They they can lead well because there is something about a full-time pastor that even though our theology isn't this, people still take a full-time pastor, put them in an ivory tower, think of them kind of as a priest separate and distinct but a bivocational or a co-vocational guy, people look at them and go, that's just another guy who works like I do, who loves the Lord and can lead me someplace. Is that a fair assessment? Could, could not have said that better. I really couldn't. And, and again, I go back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast. If a church is really kind of doing everything they can do so they can pay a full-time pastor, they're probably not paying you enough to really be full-time anyway, but they're calling it that. And your wife probably has to work anyway, so that's you right. still have that going on. It, but then they feel like, well, then he's got the time to do it. What else has he got to do? And they will have a tendency to back off and just leave everything for you to do. Whereas if you're a bivocational pastor, they understand that, hey, you work a job like they do. And you got to, you know, if, you, if you're doing Sunday night church, they know you got to get up, go, go to work money just like they do. That's, I think that's, that's a tremendous uh, benefit in that kind of thing. I, I truly do. And uh, yeah, hopefully... Look, there's been some change in the last few years, decade or so in Southern Baptist life in our denomination, and I'm sure in other groups as well, where they were trying intentionally to uh, validate the co-vocational and bivocational pastor, but we still have a long way to go on that. Let's Amen. be honest. We really One more negative. Let me try this statement out on you. The effectiveness of a pastor is not based on the size of their work. Meaning that we, we we often get into meetings, and and it's it's kind of one of the saddest things when you get in a group of pastors. They don't do it first anymore just because they know they're not supposed to, but eventually the question comes up, so how many are you running on a weekend? Yeah, uh, how, yeah. how many services are you doing? Uh, the, the, right. the size of a congregation does not... Uh, enhance or negate the the importance of the ministry an altar call for one is legitimate right and all an altar call or a conversation with one is legitimate it's about the calling that you've received not about the size of the work no i i can't i I just i just i cannot agree with you more and i say this everywhere i go it's kind of one of my mantras eternity alone is going to to show you the real value of your work you're you're probably never going to see it here on this earth 
it's going to be eternity that's going to show you that. And every time you preach, every time you pray, every time you lead a, a committee meeting, really, I'm serious about this. Every time you make a hospital visit, every time you preach a funeral, that is never wasted. God doesn't waste anything. Like that. His word never goes out and comes back void. So every time you, and you know, this, you get ready to go to church on Sunday morning and you think, well, you know, Easter is over. Mother's day is over. We're heading into summer and whenever it is, and you know, maybe we'll have 18 or 20. It's the same 18 or 20 or 30. That's not the point. The point is you're standing up there and you're proclaiming God's word. It never goes out and comes back void. Eternity will show you the true results of your labor. I heard a pastor one time say this, and I would tell you who he was if I could remember for sure, but I can't remember. I think I can remember, but I'm not going to say it because just in case, just in case, yeah, just in case. He said, "If if if God would ever just for a minute roll back the curtain of heaven and let you see the true result of your labor, we might become so proudful that we wouldn't be any good anymore. Oh wow! We have no, we have no idea what God is doing." all the time because he's always at work all around us amen so keep that in keep that in mind I, that is so important now we're going to break this out in a later podcast down the road but uh, like uh, whether win lose or draw whether you like it or not that i'm a multi-site pastor so uh, i i have numerous locations that i'm responsible for i have a couple of them that are large several hundred one that's uh, close to two thousand on a weekend i have a couple of them they're in the 20 to 30 range the way we operate is not that the big ones are in charge, but we are a church of multi-sites. We are one church in many places, and we value the input, and we value the work at each location. It does not matter whether you, you have different responsibilities, uh, and there, there are different roles that you play, but each one of those is a part of Crosspoint. When one wins, we all win. When one loses, we all grieve together, and and, and we refuse to let size culture be the thing that defines us, and I think that those who are in this rural work have to remember that the size can, listen, none of our churches are going to compare to the seas of people who are bending a knee and crying, holy, holy, holy on that great day. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big a church you're at. Matter of fact, I heard a pastor say at a big conference, I'm not going to, I do know who he is, but I'm not going to quote him because I don't have permission. <laughs> uh, but okay. he said, you're all here because I have a big church and you've come to learn. He goes, but if I walked across the street over that inter- interstate to the mall, no one knows me. He says, you guys in small places, you have more of an impact on your community than I ever could in this mega city. Oh, he's absolutely right. He's, he's just so spot on with that. And, you know, I, I'll go Sunday morning and I'll, I'll preach at Linwood, town of 400 people. We might have 50 or 65 people there. And, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't look like much. Let's be honest, compared to the rest of the world, it, it doesn't look like much. Um, however, you know, you and I both know, man, one day uh, that eastern sky is going to open. One day our Lord's going to return. Mm. And at that moment, the most important thing in that city is going to be that church, Amen. the bride of Christ. I mean, Amen. that's the only thing that's going to last for eternity. Hey, we just got a brand new Dollar General, and that's a pretty big deal because we've never <laughs> had a store in our that's town. That's big time, and brother. Everybody, everybody's excited about it. But at the other at the other end of that, man, when Jesus comes back, the only thing that's going to be left in that town is is the bride, the yeah. church, what you're pastoring, that little group there. I mean, that is for all eternity. Mm. And get excited about that. It's important work, whether it doesn't matter. You know, you've heard me say it so many times, but it is so true. There isn't a single example where the Apostle Paul ever asked Timothy or or any of the other churches how many they were having in attendance. Now, <laughs> you know, it, 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 he was just not that was not first and foremost on his mind. 
And it shouldn't be really on our minds either. I know we've read the book front to back. I've even done it in uh, in the original language. And the phrase, so how many you running, is not in any of the New Testament epistles. It's just... <laughs> you know, people say, well, they counted on they counted on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, but they didn't count after that. I mean, I didn't, they didn't count every time they got together and report it. That's I'm, right. I'm not saying we shouldn't count. But yeah, the day of Pentecost they did. And they didn't spend the rest of the New Testament trying to re- recapture what happened at the day of Pentecost. They just That's let right. God do whatever God chose to do, wherever God chose to do it, and that was fine with them. So and don't right. lose sight of the fact that one of the greatest preachers in the entire Old Testament, Elijah, spent a good bit of his time preaching to two people, the widow and her son, who didn't ever respond. So there you go. <laughs> Amen. All right, so here's what we know. The effectiveness of a pastor is not the product of their busyness. They are not rated by the title that they hold. Uh, they are not valued by the size of their work. But this, the effectiveness of a pastor is rated by the disciples they equip. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13. And it makes you, I know you've heard this before, but listen to it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers this responsibility to do what? To equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is, and to be honest with you, it's it's a mercenary kind of assignment as well, because the Bivocovo guy, the rural pastor who's got all that weight on them, part of their job is to train others up to do ministry alongside of you so that uh, that you don't have to do that all alone, but also to equip them so that they can be sent and be who God wants them to be. It's not about the, the size culture. It's not about the title. It's not about any of those metrics that we love to measure. What is it? It's about making disciples and reproducing yourself in the body of Christ, equipping others for the work of the church. You know, what we say, Andy, on our team at the North American Mission Board, revitalization, replanting, it is successful when these things happen. When you have a pattern of making disciples who make disciples that result in the community being noticeably better. Mm. It's not when you grow by 10% or 20% or, or whatever that is. It's a pattern because Jesus told us to go therefore and make disciples. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And we count everything in church. You know, We count how many people come, how many are baptized, how much money we have how many parking spaces we've got, how many chairs we have, but how do we, how do we count how many disciples are being made? Mm. And that's a whole nother podcast for another day. Discipleship is not something you do in a classroom in a church. It's not just pouring information to people's heads. It's all, you know, it's much more than that. But when I go out and I, I speak like I do so many different places and guys come up and they, just unload on me all the difficulties and challenges mm. they had. The church is declining after COVID 20, 30% of a lot of our congregations are not going to return. Some of our leadership are not going to be involved again. Like they used to be guys are really discouraged. And, you know, they kind of expect us to have some sort of a magic bullet, some sort of a program here. If you try this, you can grow back to your church again. Really what I, I say is go back to your church, find, find one person in your congregation that seems to, want to know more about Jesus than anybody else. One guy that kind of gets there early and stays late, wants to talk more, spend this year pouring yourself into him and discipling him and asking him, how does he have a friend that you can bring along in a few months and the three of you get together and teach him how to be a disciple? You start doing that and you're really going to change the culture of that church over time if you stay there long enough and do that. Just a discipleship culture, man, it is not a mile wide and an inch deep. It is deep. That's right. And it can withstand it can withstand a lot. 
So the problem with so many of our churches yeah. is that they're, they are a mile wide and it's deep. And That's when, right. when the great pastor, the great leader leaves, it just all dries up and goes away. So if I could take what you just said, there is a challenge. All these metrics that we consider so important. Yes, we should measure. We need to keep track of things because, you know, what gets measured gets uh, gets assessed and what gets assessed gets developed. But um, what we do, especially in the rural context, is understand that Jesus changed the world with 12 guys. We yes. could probably change our small town with one or two guys, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. the metric is how do we equip deeply and relate deeply to a, a couple of families uh, that at most that that can help us turn this town upside down. And part of that is, I mean, th- that should be the challenge. If you walk away from this going, I feel encouraged. I feel like, uh, yes, even though no one else has noticed, it feels like I, I am. Th- that's our goal. We want you to realize how important that you are in the work that you're doing, but also not to feel the weight of becoming a, a Western church culture metric monster, but to become that discipler that that builds others up for the body of Christ and to never forget that the identity of your pastor has nothing to do with them being the pastor. Uh, the identity of a pastor has to do with who they are in Jesus. The same message that you preach to the congregation is the message you need to preach to yourself. And that while we are talking about the effectiveness of pastoring, your worth and your value as a person has nothing to do with what you're doing vocationally or voluntarily. It has to do with who you are in Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Your, your worth, and value was settled at Calvary, and uh, and that was that was signed, sealed, and delivered. I mean that you you find your worth in the gospel. You don't find it in how many people show up on Sunday morning, or whether you're full time or part time. If you try to find it in how many show up on Sunday morning, or your title, or whether you're full time or part time, you are feeding off of your people. You're not feeding your people, mm. and so you've got you've got to make sure you're not that kind of person who does that, who finds your joy, your meaning. In, in the position you have and the number of people who come, but you find your joy and your meaning in Jesus and what he's already accomplished for you. Amen. You know, Jesus always had huge crowds up in Galilee, massive crowds that would follow him everywhere. In fact, the, the Pharisees were always kind of frightened of him up there because he had so many people around him. But you never noticed Jesus never leveraged the crowd for his own benefit. Mm. He was always pulling away. And, you know, he, he had a lot of followers. He had more than 12. But in Matthew's gospel in 10, Matthew 10 and some other places, he takes he takes all those followers and he pulls them down to 12, right? Yeah. And he spends a great deal of time with 12. And then he takes really four uh, and he spends even more time with those four. And that's a model for us, man. We value so much the crowd. And Jesus was like, you know, the real power is in just taking a few people and really pouring myself into them. And just like you said, I couldn't have said it any better. Anybody listening to this podcast, Find one or two families, one or two guys in your community, in your church that you can really pour into. They can pour back into you. Discipleship is always a two-way street, right? And, and if you do that, you'll grow, they'll grow, and the church will begin to change. Brother, I know this is going to be a little bit different, but uh, I just feel like there are probably some guys listening who have been beat down by expectations, that they've beat themselves up uh, because of the metrics that they think that they should be under. And they're doing this job. They've been called by God, but because they're small, because they're rural, they've never had anyone lay hands on them just to love them. And I know that we don't have the right. To, there's no authority. There's no church architecture for this, but I would just love 
for that guy who is serving in that place and just feeling the need to partner, to, to know that he matters, I want to have like a commissioning kind of prayer over them. And I wondered if you, can you and I just do this? If you would start, just yeah. pray for that. Pray for that guy. Pray for yeah. that ministry. Pray for that family. And then when you're done, let me let me wrap up on that as well. And I'm going to include a, a scripture in, in our prayer from Psalm 126. So uh, if you're driving, promise you can you can pray with your eyes open. You really need to learn how to do that. Uh, so you can, you can pray. <laughs> with us. But but if you're not, if you could pause for just a second and you're you're in this place, we we just want to we want to audio in an audible way just lay hands on you and, and commission you and say how thankful we are for you. So Mark, if you just begin for us, that'd be great. Oh Lord, you know there are some guys right now who are who are doing difficult difficult jobs in very challenging churches for very little money and very little affirmation from people. And Father, the, the adversary is working on their family through finances, especially in this time of inflation, mm. working on their, their relationships with their kids and their wives. Some of them have to deal with their aged parents. There, there's all kinds of conflict in their churches, Lord. And at times, I know they just feel completely overwhelmed. Father, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever they're listening to this, I want you to just reach out, and I just want them to feel your loving arms around them. And know that you have them right where you want them, right in your hand. And that they are yours and you treasure them. And you will give them every bit of grace and wisdom and strength they need for this battle. Lord, may they suit up in the full armor of God. May they put on that helmet of salvation and think like a Christian. May they take that breastplate of righteousness, your righteousness, not theirs. May they have that shield of faith that can withstand every arrow, Father. May they be the true soldier that you call them to be confident of victory because our captain, Jesus Christ, has already won every battle for us. May they feel that. May they know that. May they live that today, I pray in Jesus' name. Father, I agree with my brother in this, and I ask you to just lay your hands upon each of those homes in a tangible way, even members of the family, the kids, and uh, maybe a spouse who haven't heard this. May they just supernaturally feel your encouragement, and may this be the beginning of a new day, just as we see things differently. If we've been in a dry place, if we've been in a, in a frustrating place, if we've been in a hard place, then I pray the words of Psalm 126 over each of these ministries. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seeds for seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Father, we pray that you would take uh, the dryness and bring rain, that you would take the, the hardship and bring that easy yoke, that you would take that weariness and bring joy. God, we know you can do this, and we pray that you would affirm these callings and these ministries and these lives. It is in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, "Amen, buddy." Amen, man. What a what a great episode! Thank you, uh, Mark, for joining us and all this. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, next uh, episode. We're going to talk about loneliness and isolation in the rural context. And so, we don't give any of that away. But boy, that's a, that's a worthwhile topic, isn't it? Not? 
Absolutely. We've all been there. We've been there. And we're, we're going to talk about it uh, on the very next one. But I want to say thank you so much for being a part of the Rural Pastor Podcast. And we hope you'll share this with others. Thank you to Mark, the North American Mission Board, the Replant Team, and to 180 Digital Media. We'll see you next time on the Rural Pastor Podcast. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope to that church on the corner of that forgotten little town to a room of empty pews where his love can still be found you may never know of all the seeds you sown but it just takes one willing soul to make him known Thank you so much for joining us at the ruralpastorpodcast.com. A special thanks to Chosen Road for this incredible theme music, to 180 Digital, our corporate sponsor, and you can check out both of them at our website as well as other resources because you're not alone. And Rural Pastor, we believe in you at the ruralpastorpodcast.com.